Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning. My name is Frank. I am uh, the Mayfair Road Campus Pastor. I'm also one of your teaching pastors. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. If you have a Bible, you want to open your Bible app, whatever you want to do, there should be Bibles in the seats too. Open to the book of Romans. I love, 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 love the book of Romans. And I'm not the only one. A lot of people throughout church history loves the book of Romans. In the year uh, 386 AD, Augustine, St. Augustine said this after reading a single passage from the book of Romans. He said, a light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. After that, Augustine became a follower of Christ. About a thousand years later, the German monk named Martin Luther said this about the book of Romans. He said, it is the true masterpiece of the New Testament and the very purest gospel, which is well worthy and deserving that a Christian man should not only learn it by heart word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the daily bread of men's souls. For it can never be too much or too well read or studied And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. High praise for the book of Romans. I love the book of Romans. I love it also because it's like every single theological theme that you can find in the whole scope of the New Testament is all found in the book of Romans. So there is absolutely no way I can summarize the book of Romans in 30 minutes for you. What I want to do, if you're okay with it, is to go on a journey with me through the book of Romans so we can kind of talk about this one kind of major theme that I want to talk about today. Can we do that today? Okay, thank you for your approval. All right. Uh, First, uh, sorry, Romans chapter one, verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So this gives us a glimpse of who the apostle Paul is writing to. He's writing this in uh, 57 AD to the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome, whose apparently their faith is echoing around the world. Paul goes on to say that he wants to visit them, but he hasn't hasn't had the time or the means to go visit them. Uh, But then he says this in verse 15. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So we have to ask this question. Why would Paul want to preach the gospel to people who are already Christians? Right? Like it seems like we've had this understanding that you preach the gospel to people who are not Christians so they can become Christians. But that's not the case here. Paul wants to preach this to Christians. Why is that? Well, he answers that very question in verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The reason why Paul wants to preach the gospel is that it is God's power for salvation. The gospel is the good news message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, The word gospel literally means good news. The gospel is not just good news for those who are not Christian, who want to become Christians, but it is also good news for you and I who are believers to remind ourselves daily as we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be empowered to be the people God has created us to be. 
Tim Keller has this amazing line about uh, the gospel. He says, the gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, but the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel saves you and the gospel sustains you. So the book of Romans, like I said, talks about everything. And because of that, people have used this letter to kind of summarize a lot of basic theological themes that are found in the New Testament. But one in particular that people like to do is to find the theme of salvation. How do people get saved? How do we understand the gospel? And kind of all the verses you need are found in the book of Romans. You may have heard this used in this way. Maybe you've heard it's called the Romans Road. And it's a way to use the book of Romans to explain salvation to people. And so what I'm going to do today is take us on a journey through the Romans road. And I want to give you five verses from the book of Romans that I want you to write down, mark in your Bible, mark one, two, three, four, five. I want you to take notes because uh, this is going to be giving you a framework of how to share the gospel with people. And now listen, some of you guys are like, Frank, I've been a Christian forever. Why are we talking about salvation? Like, I want to know other stuff. Listen, just because we're going to the Romans road of salvation, I don't want anyone to check out simply because you're already saved. Because every time you remind yourself of the gospel, it grows and nourishes your soul. All right? So let's go down the Romans road. And I I think by the end of this, I think you'll find this very helpful and useful. And maybe for some of you today, this might be the very first time you've heard the road to salvation. So the first stop of the Romans road is this, Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 is the first stop. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Before Paul gives us the good news, he has to tell us the bad news. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, it says that in the beginning, God created everything. And we learn in Genesis 1 that everything he created was good. God doesn't make junk. Everything he makes is really, really good, okay? And then when he creates you and I, he doesn't say that we were good. He says that we were very good. Like of all the things God creates, mountains, birds, everything, He's like, my peak in all of creation, everything, the best thing I made is humanity. But something happened in Genesis 3. Something really bad happened. Sin entered the world. One pastor defines sin as any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from the heart that does not treasure God over all other things. It's a great definition of sin. But I have a better one. Because I made it up. And it has hand motions, all right? Sin is anything we say, think, or do that displeases God. Yo, that's a good one. The kids ministry right now uses that definition. It's simpler. Sin is the breaking of God's law. It is our rebellion against his rule and reign in our lives and in this world. Because of Adam and Eve in the garden, sin entered into this world. And through Adam, all of us have sin, all right? Every single one of us is a sinner. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that the sin that separates us from God also distorts our lives towards evil. If you're honest, you know that something's wrong in this world. We long for something more. We were created to be with God, but the problem is that, that something that we long for, we're looking for all the wrong places to fulfill that longing. We were created for God, but our sin separates us from God. So your greatest need in this life 
is the forgiveness of sins. You may be like, I've never thought about that before in my life. You may say, my greatest need is money. My greatest need is happiness. My greatest need is love. But your greatest need is forgiveness. There is this, uh, uh, like you guys don't know who he is, Ernest Hemingway, he, uh, he, he wrote these short stories, and one of the short stories he wrote called The Capital of the World. And in The Capital of the World, it's a short story about this, this um, father and son. The son's name is Paco. He lived in Madrid, Spain. And him and his, the father and the son had a falling out, and the son ran away from home and, and ran away into Madrid. And so the father loved his son. He chased after him into Madrid, looking for his son. After he couldn't find him, he put an ad in the newspaper, and the ad said, Paco, his son's name was Paco, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. That's what he put in the newspaper. On that Tuesday, when his father came out that morning to go see if if Paco showed up, there were 800 Pacos at the hotel. 800 Pacos hoping that it was their dad forgiving them. This is our greatest need. Our greatest need is forgiveness. If our greatest need is forgiveness, then God's greatest deed is forgiving. We're all sinners in need of the forgiveness of God. So the second mile marker on the Romans road is Romans 5. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage should bring us immense joy and immense comfort. Because on our worst day, God loves you, right? Uh, it, It wasn't when you were the most cleaned up, the most prim and proper. It wasn't when you had your life together, you were the most impressive or the most useful. God sees right through all the pretending. God sees all through the facade. He sees your heart. He sees exactly who you are. And he says, I love you and I'm gonna show how I love you by sending Jesus. Imagine right now, if everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, good or bad, is on the screen right now. And it's being streamed on YouTube right now. Imagine everything you've ever said, done. we have photos and video evidence of it all. That would have been terrifying. Like, I would be running out of this room. That would be scary for all of us. But God has seen your unedited biography and says, I still want you in my family. When you were preoccupied with your sin, when you were too busy with your rebellion against God, God was still committed to loving you by sending his son Jesus to die for you. Do you see why this is a big deal? I said God created everything and he created it good, but because of our sin, we have corrupted his good creation. We have destroyed it. And God is holy and God is just. And because he is holy and just, he has to do something with our sin, right? God being holy means that he is perfect, he is set apart, and that he cannot sin. God being just means that he can't simply just overlook your sin and just shove it under the rug and pretend it never happened. God has to do something. And it would stand to reason that if God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, it would seem fair for God to just let everybody go to hell and to take this world, blow it up, and start over. That seems fair, and that stands to reason. But instead, he chooses to send his own son in our place to forgive us. When Jesus took the cross, he died the death you deserve so that you can have the life you don't deserve. I'm going to say that again. 
when Jesus took the cross, he died the death you deserved so that you can have the life you don't deserve. His, God's holiness and justice is satisfied on the cross because Jesus takes the punishment that you deserve for your sins onto himself so that you can receive God's grace. His love for us is that while we were still at our worst, he made a way for us to live and receive his mercy in spite of the fact that none of us deserve it. This is what grace is. It's getting the opposite of what you deserve. And that namely is God's forgiveness. The third stop, next stop on the Romans road is Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Let's stop at that comma. For the wages of sin is death. Sin always leads to death. It only ever wants to bring death. The reason why we die physically is because of sin. We were never meant to experience sin. The reason why funerals are weird and uncomfortable is because we were never meant to ever go to a funeral. Death only exists because sin is in this world. But sin doesn't just kill us physically, it kills us in every way, shape, and form. Sin kills relationships. Sin kills marriages. Sin kills families. Sin kills your mental health. Sin kills joy. I think there's a misconception that God is in heaven just watching us suffer because he says there's a bunch of rules and you just can't have any fun here in this world. Hear me closely when I say this, okay? Sin is not bad because it is forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it is bad. You following me? I'll say it again. Sin is not bad because it is forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it is bad. God knows how sin kills everything. And because of that, he gives us boundaries. All of God's commands, all of God's laws are for your good. They're for your flourishing and for your joy. God gives us guardrails in this life because he wants you to have maximum joy in this life. When we choose to jump over those guardrails, that's when we self-sabotage ourselves and bring death into our life. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words... What we have earned and what we deserve because of our sin is only death. But that's not where the verse ends, right? Verse, chapter 6, verse 23, let's read it again. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so this is telling us two things. One, this, the, if the free gift of God is eternal life, then the, the thing that we deserve, this death that sin brings, is an eternal death. This is what we're talking about when we talk about hell. Hell is eternal separation from God's goodness and kindness and love towards you. I think another misconception is that God is just wanting to send people to hell. That he's just choosing to send a bunch of people to hell. And, and, and that's a misunderstanding of God's justice and desires. Hear me out. God doesn't send people to hell. All of us were already going to hell. All of us were, without God's grace and mercy intervening, all of us are on a speeding train headed straight to hell, and you and I are fighting for first class, all right? The Bible says that he doesn't desire anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. I know some of y'all don't believe me right now, so I have some Bible verses to show you, all right? Follow me. Ezekiel 33, 11. 
say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The wicked, the worst people that could ever live on this earth, God takes no joy and no pleasure in seeing them die and go to hell, all right? But that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God does not desire to see anyone whom he has created in his image for his glory to die and go to hell. It's not a part of his desires. His desire has always been that people will be saved from their sins. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is not sending people to hell. Every person who ends up in hell is there because they have rejected the mercies and grace of God that he's showing them through Jesus Christ. God is relentlessly trying to pursue all of you with his mercy and his grace. God is saving people from hell. Jesus is literally saying, if you want to go to hell, you literally have to go over my dead body. This is what God is doing. So what we have earned because of our sin is eternal death. But God's free gift to you, that he's offering to you, is eternal life. Eternal life is a gift that we do not deserve Another big hang-up for folks that I think is a misconception when we talk about this is, is I don't think we understand what God means by eternal life. I think for some of us, we just think it means that we're going to live forever and that like, we should be grateful because at least we're not in hell getting like, our teeth mashed in, right? Like, this is good, right? Eternal life is not simply about quantity, like how long I will live, but about quality how good of a life I am living. You understand what I'm saying? I'll say it again. Eternal life is not simply about quantity, how long I will live, but quality, how good of a life I am living. Some people, when they translate the, 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 the original word for eternal life, they prefer, prefer to use the term unending real life. As in the life you were meant to live, the life your soul was created to have, where maximum joy and love from God is experienced. Eternal life is receiving God's kindness and goodness and love forever and ever and ever. On the cross, when Jesus pays for your sins with his life, what he gives you is this exchange. He takes your sin and he gives you what the Bible calls his righteousness. So when God sees you, he doesn't see the sin that Christ died for, but he sees Jesus' perfect life on you and therefore he treats you how he would treat his own son, which is he is just pouring with the riches of his kindness and goodness and love to his son and therefore he's giving that to you. And the one thing that is often misunderstood when we talk about eternal life is that it starts now. 
Eternal life doesn't begin the moment you die. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in him right now. You can have the peace of heaven which surpasses all understanding in a world full of unrest. You can have a joy of the Lord in a world that's, that's full of hopelessness. You get a taste of the good life today and you get to experience the fullness of the good life in glory in the presence of God. The gift of God, the, the gift God is offering through Jesus is not simply living forever and avoiding hell. The gift is the life you were meant to live with the fullness of God's love, goodness, kindness, and presence forever, starting at the moment when you put your faith in him. So that's the third mile marker. The fourth mile marker of the Romans road is Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Some of you may come from a tradition where you believe in order to be saved, there's like a checklist of rules you have to follow, and you have to keep that rule, keep like a bunch of more rules and checklists in order to stay saved. And I think sometimes we just can't accept the simplicity that the Bible is saying in terms of how we get saved. Putting your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins is simple. The passage is saying that if you genuinely believe that Jesus is God, that, 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 that on the cross, it, it, your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for by the perfect work and action through one man, through Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, he rose again three days later, and that he is alive today. If you believe in that, you are saved. Paul is saying if you genuinely believe something, well, it should show up in your words. And so the words you confess with your mouth should be the outward evidence of the faith that you believe in your heart. And if you can honestly say that Jesus is Lord and believe that he is alive today, then salvation is yours for the taking. And hear me out. The good news keeps getting better. Next week, Pastor Adam is actually going to do a second part of this sermon and this series in the book of Romans. And he's going to talk about how there's going to be this transformation in the life of the believer because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes to you when you put your faith in him. This involves discipleship. This involves turning away of old things. But the good news is that this transformation happens because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, working in you, to change your desires. That's next week. So we went through four exits of the Romans road. Here's the fifth mile mark of the Romans road. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no fine print. There is no nuance or caveats I need to add to this passage. Everyone who comes to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins will be forgiven. Jesus will save anybody and everybody who will come to him receiving forgiveness. They will be saved. If you're worried, you're like, Frank, you don't, you don't know my past, man. I have, I've, I've, I've done some bad things. I don't think God can forgive me. Remember this. Jesus died and resurrected 2,000 years ago. So he's fully aware of all the ways I could screw this up and still paid for it. He says, like, he knows all the ways I could mess this up or how I could mess this up. And he says, I still love you. I want you in my family. I've died for you. Be in my family. He's, he's considered it all. 
Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. His grace is bigger than your failures on your worst day. The Romans Road is a set of passages that, that help us to explain what salvation is. And so if you are a believer, I hope this is helpful because you, you now have a framework of verses to help you understand how to share the gospel with others. I, highlight these verses, put a number in about, I want to challenge you to even take another step further and, and to memorize these verses. When I was in, in, in high school and, and, and we were taught how to do open air evangelism, we had to memorize these verses so we can share them even without uh, the access to a Bible. I want you to know these verses. But most importantly, I want to challenge you right now to think of someone you can share the Romans road with. All right. I want everyone to do this. Across all campuses, I want everyone to do this. When you walked in, you would have been handed a bulletin. There's an orange card in that bulletin. I want everybody right now, this isn't like a you know, metaphorical thing, take out this orange card right now across all campuses. Take it out, grab it, and I want you to put it in the air. Can we do that? Everyone do that. I'm colorblind, so I know what, I think I know what orange is, so put the orange card in here. I want everyone, when I see everyone do it, all right, cool, cool, cool. All campuses, your campus pastor can see it, so put your orange card in here. Okay, everyone, great, all right, cool. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you on the orange side, fill out as much as you can. And I'm being serious. Everyone's doing it, so don't get weird on me, right? Fill out as much as you can, put, at least at minimum, put your name and your email there, okay? Fill out as much as you can. I'm giving you permission to do this right now. Put, 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 we promise to protect your information. On the back of the card, here's what I want you to do. If you are a Christian, there's a section here that says, my next step today, and there's a big blank. What I want you to do is I want you to write, I will share the Romans road with, and put someone's name there. I mean it. I want you to put, uh, I will share the Romans road with, and put someone's name there. There's pens in the backseat pockets. As everyone's filling this out, who is a person in your life that needs to hear the good news of salvation, the good news of the gospel. Maybe a family member, maybe a friend. I, I want you to put their name on this card as a step of faith. And, and, and don't worry, if you have questions about how to do this properly, you can listen to the sermon again or um, at the hub.epicos.org, there's gonna be more resources for you about how to use these verses and other stuff. But, but fill this out, and here's the one promise I will make to you. If you fill this out and you put the name on here and you drop it in the offering bucket when it comes by, and you go, and this week or next week, you talk to that person, and you share the gospel. And they come at you with some crazy question that you weren't prepared for. My promise to you is this, is that if you email your campus pastor, your campus pastor will, will give you all the resources you need to answer those questions so that you can go back and continue to have that conversation as you lead that friend or family member to Jesus. All right? Fill out this orange card, put it in the bucket. We want to see you use this gospel to reach people for Christ. Don't, de don't depend on like, well, if I could just get him to church, Frank will yell at him for 30 minutes. No, all right? You are part of the whole go into the world and making disciples. And we just wanna give you the tools to be able for you to go into your neighborhoods, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your family members, and share with them the good news of the gospel. You got the tools. I gave you five verses. Now go tell people about Jesus. Now for some of you today, this may be the first time You've heard these verses and, and you realize that, yo, I'm a sinner. And I think I need forgiveness to, that Frank talked about today, right? 
that you heard that while you were still in the midst of your sin and rebellion, God showed you his love for you by sending Jesus to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins. You heard that the consequences of your sin is death, namely an eternal death. But God is offering to you the free gift of eternal life, this unending real life. You heard me read it. I said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's true. And so maybe for the first time you've ever heard this, or maybe for the first time you realize it's clicked, that you are, in a sin, you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, what I want to do right now is give you that opportunity. So here's what I want. Everybody at all campuses, bow your heads and close your eyes for me. The reason why I want to do this is, is this is between, between you and, uh, and Jesus, Okay. God loves you, and he wants you to come home. He showed you how much he loves you by sending his son Jesus to die for you for your sins so that you can be forgiven. Uh, what I want to do is I want to I I pray a prayer. This prayer doesn't save you. The, the faith behind the prayer is the evidence that you are saved. And if you pray this prayer earnestly with faith, that you, you are doing exactly what Romans 10 says, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you are a Christian, I just want to, I want you to pray right now for the people around you who aren't a Christian, that, that, that the that Holy Spirit softens their heart, that they're receiving this message. Or maybe you can start praying for the person that you want to lead to Christ. Pray for them right now. But if you are ready right now to give your life to Jesus, you can repeat after me out loud. You can repeat quietly in your heart. This is not to impress anybody. This is between you and God. I want you to pray with me. Dear God, I know that I have sinned against you and am deserving of the consequences of my sin. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that I could be forgiven. I place my trust and my life in you for salvation. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Amen. Everyone, keep your eyes, your head still bowed and your eyes still closed. I want, I want, I want, if you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you, if you've put your faith in Jesus for the first time, or today's the first day it clicks, I want you to do something for me as an, as an act of faith. No one is going to see you. This is just between you and God. What I want to do is, I, at every campus right now, there's a pastor on stage, your campus pastor probably, who, 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 who's on stage, who's someone that you can trust. If you, for the very first time, put your faith in Jesus, just quietly, if you can, put your hand in the air so that we can see it. I want, to be, I want the campus pastors to be able to see that hand so they can praise God for you and pray for you. They will be available after all this, the services. They'll be able to answer any questions. Because if today is the first day you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that heaven is throwing a giant party in your name. Because when sinners come to Christ, there's something to celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good. You're gracious to us. And, and the Bible says that while we were still sinners, you died for us. I pray, Lord, that for those of us in this room who are, who've been followers of you, Lord, that we can be like Paul in Romans 1.16, that we can be unashamed of this gospel 
and we can go to our friends and family members, people that we love and share about the good news of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we use these verses from Romans as a tool to tell them about the good news of the gospel. I pray, Lord, for those who are, who are in this room and maybe for the first time, they realize that they're a sinner in need of salvation. I pray, Lord, that as your word says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that they will be saved, that today is the day that they confess in you. I pray, Lord, that you give them boldness and wisdom and, and, and a desire to, to maybe talk to someone after service, talk to the campus pastor, before they leave to tell someone about the good news that they have put their faith in Christ. And be with us, Lord. There's no other name under heaven in which they can save except for your son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that saves us and this is the gospel that sustains us and keeps us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.